Last week we started our study in the book of Acts with verses 1 through 8, and we're going to be resuming in verse 8 uh, today as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Uh, today's message is titled, Waiting for Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus when he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. They were getting ready for him to leave, but they wanted to know what is coming next. When are we going to see everything that the Old Testament said was going to happen? When are you as the Messiah going to establish your kingdom, set up Israel, build us beautiful homes, and put us in charge? You know, that, that's kind of the mentality. Remember, the religious rulers thought that. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah because he didn't come and give them crowns and, and build them thrones and say, okay, now you're in charge and I'm just going to be over. Uh, they were expecting that, to destroy the enemy, to, you know, uh, set up the religious system as... The, the government for the world. And, and that's what they were really expecting. And so Jesus couldn't have been that. Here he is, just a preacher out there in Galilee, going around, preaching to people. He went to Samaria. Samaria! Jews don't go to Samaria. You go around Samaria. You don't go to Samaria. And Jesus went there. And he talked to a woman at the well. You know, so the, the stories got around that Jesus was doing things that good Jews don't do. We can kind of get caught up in that too. You know, when we see th people doing things differently than the way we think they should be done. You know, and, and, and we say... You know what? That's just not right. Now, there are things that are just not right. Okay? Uh, don't, don't, you know, we're not, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but he, he, there are some things out there that just aren't right. But we know that as we seek the Lord, as we study the Word of God, He's going to teach us the truth and that. If we're seeking for the truth, he will show it to us. He will reveal it to us. And so that's what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, how the church was formed, how the disciples were transformed. Uh, they're not transformed yet. Jesus is telling them that they're going to be, but it hasn't happened yet. We pick up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we read, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I'm sure some of them were thinking, did you just say Samaria? What, what are you talking about, Samaria? But... Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to be witnesses 
in these places, starting in Jerusalem, because they were in Jerusalem, and then going in Judea, which was the whole surrounding area, and then into Samaria, ooh, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, hold on. The ends of the earth are all Gentiles out there. And so, hey, you know where we are? Fountain Hills. We're about the ends of the earth as ends of the earth can come, right? It looks like Jerusalem here in Arizona. If you've ever been to Israel, Israel looks a lot like Arizona. There's a lot of desert in Israel. There's a lot of stuff in Israel that I didn't expect when I got there. And it was different than anything I expected. But it was very much like Arizona. As a matter of fact, their weather is very similar to Arizona. The temperatures. So when we were there the first time we went, uh, it was in November. It, it was chilly, you know, it, it, but it was good. It, you know, it was comfortable. And then we went in, what was it, March the second time we went? We went in March. Uh, the second time. And it was good. It was comfortable. It wasn't too hot, uh, you know, but uh, this is, it was very similar uh, to Arizona. But uh, the difference is it's a religious, you know, uh, in, you know, place there. They're all into religion. Uh, kind of like Arizona. You know, we're, we've got a lot of different religions here too. You know, and they do too. They're, you know, Tel Aviv is one of the largest homosexual, homosexual communities in the Middle East. Tel Aviv. Uh, that's their capital there. And uh, it, it's like, hold on. They have that problem? Yes. It's all over the world. But we have the gospel here. There are places. See, when the gospel first started going out, and the, the Jews were dispersed. It was, it's called the diaspora. They were dispersed. They went out to these places, these Greek cities and, and Roman cities, and they brought the gospel to these cities. Some of the places they went didn't even have a synagogue. So there weren't even Jews there. But they went and they brought the gospel to those places. Here's the thing. The world was expanding faster than the gospel was. And so even today, there are places where the gospel hasn't been brought yet. You know, they may have sent missionaries here and there, but there are places where the gospel hasn't reached and been planted in certain places. And we're told that, you know, Jesus is going to return after everyone knows. Everyone has heard. Everyone has had an opportunity. So that's how come there are so many churches everywhere all over the world. That's how come there are so many missionaries out there. You don't have to have a church to bring the gospel. You just have to have a person, a vessel, to go and bring the gospel. And then when the gospel gets to a place, it gets embedded in a life and the gospel takes root there in that area. 
that's what these guys are doing. They're starting to plant the gospel. Jesus said that they're going to Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's where we are today. Matthew chapter 24 tells us what the conditions of the earth are going to be when Jesus returns. But I think more importantly is the fact that the gospel has spread throughout the earth. And so that's a prophecy of Jesus. You're going to take the gospel and you're going to bring it to the ends of the earth. And since we can see that today, we can be sure that that prophecy has been fulfilled. As a matter of fact, when we look at prophecy, we can say, no more prophecies have to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. There isn't like one more thing that needs to be done. Uh, in 1940, it would, would have been impossible to say that because Israel wasn't a nation. Some other things had to happen, but they did. And now at this point, there is nothing else that needs to be done before he returns. After he tells his disciples these things, he says, hey, it's not for you to know the day or the hour, in verse 7. He says, not for you to know the time when I'm going to establish the kingdom. He says that. It's not, not for you to know. Why is it not for them to know? Because they're not going to be there when he establishes the kingdom. It hasn't been for the people for the last 2,000 years to know. But in the last couple of hundred years, it's, we've been leading up to it so quickly that now it makes sense. The fact that this is going to happen. We're living in the age. And that's how come there's so much emphasis on Bible prophecy and the return of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you on one thing. We're not supposed to be going out and telling the world about the return of Christ. That's not our focus. Our focus is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected. That's the gospel message. His love that drove him to the cross, that then brought him up from the grave to prove that he had power over the grave, that's the message for the lost. You know, the message to hear, oh, well, Jesus can return at any time, that's not a great message for someone living in sin, right? You know? They're thinking, oh, I've got to keep watching for him. He's coming and I'm going to be doing something wrong. That's kind of the, the mentality. But when you tell someone the message that he loves you so much that he's willing to forgive you of all your sin, that's a message that hits home. That's a message that reminds us that no matter how bad we have been in the past, we can be forgiven and we have a hope for the future. But unless we have faith and trust in him because of what he has done, uh, we can still live like we're under that sin. 
we can live like we are burdened and we owe God something. We have to do something for God to earn our way out of this. You can work your way all you want. You're not getting out of here because of your works. Works are the evidence of the fact that you're saved. When you're saved and you believe in Jesus Christ, then the works just come naturally. I want to do this because I love the Lord, what he has done for me. I love him. And I just want to do these things naturally. I was talking with a friend the other night and we were talking about the fact that, you know, you know what, we sometimes don't want to do something. You know, oh, someone needs help moving. Oh man, that's the day I was going to clip my toenails. And, and so, and, and we're thinking about, I, I could be doing so much other stuff. And, and the Lord really puts in our heart, no, you go help them. You go help them move. Because if I were there, I would help them move. If I were physically there, I will. And I will be there in you to help them move. I'll give you the strength to help them move. And then you go and do it. And guess who gets blessed? You. Because you were there being the hands and feet of Jesus. And you say, oh, I, how could I even think that I shouldn't, you know why? Because there's an enemy whispering in your ear saying, don't go, don't go. There's some, you're going to miss out on something. There's something better going on. And, you know, the enemy doesn't want you to go. But then you go and you're the one that is blessed. Now as Jesus spoke in these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so here he is, he goes up and they're watching and they're saying, look, and there is a cloud that just, re and he's gone. He's gone in the cloud. And they're just standing there looking up. Now what did Jesus say? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the comforter. That's what Jesus told them to do. What are they doing? They're staring at the sky. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus is going to come the same way that he just left. He went up into the clouds. Well, guess what? When he comes, he's coming in the clouds. He's coming in the clouds. And so he's coming in like manner. But they didn't say, now, who, who were these two men in white garments? Well, obviously they're angels. We, we can kind of see that and understand that. But how can we be sure? Because Jesus just spent Three and a half years with his disciples, and none of them knew this. None of them were aware. So who are these two guys that they've never seen before that had this information? Obviously, there's someone that came from somewhere receiving this information from God. And so, angels. And they say, why are you looking up? 
Why are you staring up into heaven? Do you find yourself doing that sometime? I do when it's cloudy. When it's cloudy, you know, I'm like, that looks like a cloud he can come on. Right? You know? And when I hear like this big storms, you know, and there, and there are clouds all across the... Oh, I'm like, oh, today's the day. Look, he's... A, you know, no, I'm not picking days or anything like that. I'm, I didn't become a meteorologist to find out when Jesus was coming back. You know, I, I instead just... Um, I became a pastor so I can be prepared when he comes back. And I can prepare others for when he comes back. It's not about knowing the day and the hour. It's about being prepared. Amen. Right? That, that's what we really need to be. So he tells the disciples that Jesus is going to return the same way. He's going to return for all to see when that time comes. Now, when the rapture happens, I believe it's going to be, quick. It's going to be like a twinkling of an eye. Okay? It's going to be so fast that we're not really going to... Jesus isn't going to be like... You know, and, and, and receiving everyone up. It's going to just be... We're going to be gone. And then the world is going to say, what happened? Oh, UFOs. Right? Oh, UFOs are big. Big nowadays. You know? Even Tucker Carlson is having shows about UFOs and stuff like that. It's like, are you kidding? What are, are you thinking? UFOs. I, 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 I've seen a UFO before. It was something flying that I didn't know what it was. Okay? Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that there are aliens on other planets coming here to check us out and stuff like that, you know? And the Bible tells us, don't even worry about what's out there. Do you know how many billions and billions of galaxies, not just planets, galaxies are out there. So many that, you know, they're not coming to Earth. They've got other places to be. I'm, I, I, I don't believe that there are other. If there were, we would know by now. Because our technology is such where we would know. So, um, you know, the only place I know where there may be aliens is Roswell. And um, so I'm going to go there, check it out, I'll let you know, okay? No, Calvary Chapel of Roswell, the pastor went, he said no. There are no aliens, he's never seen any. Um, except for those guys that come across the border and come to his church. And so, um, verse 13, and when, uh, hold on, I'm sorry, verse 12, and they... Return to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So here they were. They go back to Jerusalem. Because that's what Jesus told them to do. Go there and wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. They're not standing out there looking up at the sky. But our study through Acts is going to show us that Jesus does have something for us to do in the meantime. Quite often, people think that we're just supposed to be waiting for the Lord, but there's, supposed, there's something we're supposed to be doing in the meantime while we are waiting for the Lord. 
Verse 13, and when they had entered into Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So these were the 11 apostles, besides Judas, who wasn't there with them anymore. And they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the last time you hear mention of Mary in the New Testament. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis placed on Mary in certain denominations where they focus on Mary and her purity and her, you know, because she was a virgin, she was pure. That's the only way that Jesus could have came in through. No, she was a woman. And she was just like every other woman. But God chose her because he did. And you know, so she wasn't someone that was spiritually greater than any other woman on the face of the earth. She was blessed to be able to carry Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. She was blessed to be part of that, but that's where her role ended. She raised him as a child. Joseph at some point died. And she raised Jesus uh, from a child. He, uh, Joseph was still alive when they were 12, and Jesus went in and started teaching in, in the temple. And uh, all of the priests and scribes, they were all amazed at what they were hearing from Jesus. And Joseph and Mary kind of forgot Jesus and then had to go back and... You know, we, we've had that happen before when we forgot our kid, you know, somewhere, Walmart, Target, and, and you know, we go home for a couple of hours and... No, 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 that's never happened. But back then, everyone traveled as a big family, you know, and, and so it was just something. He was, he was 12, he was almost getting ready to go out and start a business, you know? And so he was at that age where they are considered adults and they go out and, and do things. So they weren't really keeping an eye on him uh, as much. But this is the last mention of Mary and, and Jesus and his brothers were there. His brothers didn't believe he was the Messiah until he rose from the dead. And then they became believers. And now they're part of the family. So here they are all together in one accord in supplication together. They were praying. Why? Because they didn't know what to do next. They were unsure about what to do next. When we don't know what to do next the next thing we should do is pray. If we're confused about what God may want to be doing in our lives, then the next action is prayer. Because when we pray, then we hear from God. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's going to take a few days 
a week, a month, how long? I don't know. But we shouldn't just act quickly on our own without hearing from the Lord. And in those days, verse 15, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. Number of names, meaning these were male and female disciples, and there were 120 of them, and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And so Judas was one of the twelve. He had a part in the ministry. Does anybody remember what his part was? Treasurer, right? He kept the money box. And he kept a little for himself. Kept a lot for himself. That's how come he was like being the treasurer, you know, because he got the skim off the top. I'm sure he felt that he deserved it because of the importance of his role. And he had a part in the ministry. The question is, was he doing the part that Jesus wanted him to do, or was he just acting like he was in the ministry? There are many people in the ministry who act out apart. There are people that go to seminary, and after attending seminary for a period of time, they get a degree and then they get sent out to become a pastor. You know what they can't teach you in seminary? How to love someone. How to minister to people. How to care like Jesus cared. You can become intellectual in the knowledge of the scripture, but that doesn't save you. Knowledge of the scripture does not save you. I see many people on Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, and, and uh, they have knowledge of the scripture, but they're fighting everyone with it. They're arguing with everyone. This is what this means, and you should be doing this, and you're ignorant for... I had a... A discussion with someone recently. Um, Tim Tebow had written a post about the fact that he believed in the rapture, and he had put that out there, you know, for the social media world to see. And someone reposted it, so he say, "Hey, I like this. What Tim Tebow had to say about you know waiting on the Lord, being ready for when He comes. That's what this post was about. And He's coming in the rapture, and He, you know, sometime soon. And and so it was a great post. But someone then said, "That's ignorant." You know, there is no rapture. That's not going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. And he started slamming the person for putting this out there. Now, 
I see lots of posts by people that I don't agree with their eschatology. I don't agree with some of their theology. But they're saved. They're believers in Jesus Christ. They just have a different view uh, of what the scriptures say. They don't take scripture literally. And I believe the first thing we need to do is take it literally unless it's written poetically. There are some, like Song of Solomon, you know, I don't want to see a woman that looks like the way that it was described in the Song of Solomon. She'd be a weird-looking woman. That's a sci-fi movie there, right? But that was poetic. That's what it was meant to be, poetic. So you take things that are poetic poetically. You take the historic, and you read it, and you understand it's a historic content. Prophecy, you take prophetically. But literally is always first. We always take things literally until we understand. When the Bible says, and I saw something like, now it's not literal. It's someone describing something that they saw that they didn't know what it was. They, when you, when, you have to imagine what John, when, when he was writing Revelation, and like, he tried, what is that? You know, what is that thing? It's killing everyone. And, and it looked like a scorpion, and it had a stinger, but it didn't kill them. It just and and he had he had to write these things uh, so that we would understand them. And and guess what? We can under now not exactly. We don't know what he, but we understand what he means. In that, it is very feasible that this is weapons of war. This is what our uh, our world has now, but. When we look at scripture, we have to understand the content, the context, and how it applies literally first, and then we can understand the meaning. There are a lot of people out there that don't um, agree with a little interpretation of the Bible. They don't agree that the word of God is God-breathed. And if it's not then why are we reading it? If there's only some of it that is true or accurate, then why are we reading it at all? You know, we, we can just live our lives and be good people as good as we can, and that's what a lot of people are doing. They're trying to be good people. And even as a pastor trying to be a good person, I fail. There are times when I fail. And so I know that my only hope is to trust in what Jesus did because if I try to do this on my own, I'm going to fail. These guys were doing what they thought was right. Remember, they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. Uh, and so now there's 120 of them. Peter got up and said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in ministry. So Luke here is recounting what Peter shared. Remember, Luke wasn't there. Luke is a Gentile. 
He's recounting what he received and learned through interviewing others. Peter was there, so Luke interviewed Peter for this to get this information. And he probably did that with quite a bit of the book of Acts. It wasn't until chapter 16, verse 10, when Luke starts to include himself in the book of Acts. When he starts saying, and we went, and I was there, and I saw this. It wasn't until chapter 16. So before that, he's just documenting things that he learned through um, interviewing and talking to others. So Peter is now talking about Judas, who was part of the ministry, and it was documented that by David that he was the betrayer. He was the one that was going to be betraying. It, it wasn't by name, it was by his actions. He was going to be the one to betray Jesus. And it, uh, it, it's written here by Luke, whom became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And Judas guided those that were coming to arrest. And then he kissed Jesus and you know, he gave him away as, uh, as a lamb to the slaughter. And now this man purchased a field. Well, hold on. He didn't purchase a field. He took that money, went back to the temple and threw it in there. Remember? Oh, Bible contradiction. Except that money couldn't be used in the temple. It couldn't be brought back in because it was blood money. It was the money for blood. And so, because of the fact that it was used like that, they couldn't purchase the field with it and then put their name on it, you know, signed by Gamaliel, you know. Couldn't do it. Because then it would be tied to the church, the religious rulers, the Jewish organization. So instead, they had to put Judas's name on it. It's tied to Judas. And so, inadvertently, he did buy that field. Because, remember, he hung himself at that field. That's where he hung himself in this area. And it says, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his entrails gushed out. Ready for lunch? So, here's the thing. It said that he hung himself. It didn't say anything about his head coming off and his body gushing out and, and all of that. No, that's because it was a different account. The details weren't necessary. All we needed to know is that he committed suicide and he died. But what happened was after he's hanging there and his body separated and then this is what took place after his body came apart and he, and that's, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. Well, it's field of blood because he died, his entrails gushed out, that blood was everywhere. And so that's why they called it the field of blood. But that's not the only reason. It was called the field of blood because it was blood money that bought that field. What was the field used for? It, the field was used for those people that died in that area that 
they didn't have any place to be buried. They didn't have family. They, they were traveling, uh, and they would bury them in this field, in the field of blood. They couldn't use it for anything else because it was a pottery. It was a field full of pottery where they would throw all of their old pots and everything. They could, nothing could grow there. And so that's what they used it for. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. Well, you don't have people living in cemeteries, so it's the place of the dead. And it fulfilled scripture. Let no one live in it. And let another take his office. Oh, okay. So, now another is going to take his office because it's written there in Psalms. Was it written there as prophecy because the prophet saw that someone else was going to take his office or was it written as prophecy so that someone would take his office? Ooh, that's a brain twister there, huh? We're not told. Could have been either way. But the way Peter's reading it, he's saying someone has to take his office. So we're going to figure out who that person is to take his office. You know, it's funny how Peter, all of a sudden, had all of this knowledge of Scripture... He's a fisherman. Oh, yeah, when he was fishing, he just put his you know, pole in, and then he'd pull out a scroll, and he'd read all that. He didn't have that education. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Remember when Jesus said that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have the ability to remember things that I taught you. I'm going to bring them to your remembrance. You don't have to prepare a message when you're going to go before the magistrates and, and the chief priests. You're not going to have to prepare for that. I'm going to give you the words through the Holy Spirit to speak at that time. That gift is not gone. That gift is still available today. How do I know? Because I teach on Sunday. And as you can see, I'm not reading my notes. I'm sure if I read them, they'd be boring. You'd fall asleep if I was reading my notes. But as I prepare a message to be taught, I pray, Lord, I don't care what I'm writing here. Give me the words to speak when the time comes. Prepare my heart to share the message that you would have me to share. And many of you come to me after services and say, this spoke to me because, you know, I heard this. And this really spoke to me. This meant something. And, you know, and then somebody also come and say something completely different. Oh, I really heard this in the message. I was like, well, you should go talk to them. 
you know, because they didn't hear that, you know. And, you know, but that's the Holy Spirit. That's how the Lord speaks. And, you know, I'm always wanting to be less of me, more of him, so that you are fed. Because if I were the one cooking all the meals, you'd be getting sick half the time. You'd, what is this you're cooking here? You know? Uh, but because it's the Lord putting this together, then you're fed well. And I'm just here to stand up here and share what he was... I would rather teach what he is sharing in the scriptures than anything I can come up with. Because some of the stuff I come up with is dumb. You know, when I get up here and actually read my notes, sometimes I look and go, was I really going to say that? <laughs> Let's just skip over that, move on to the next verse. Therefore, uh, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So now they're putting parameters about who is qualified to be in this role. The qualifications are they had to be there at the baptism of Jesus, and they had to be there for the resurrection of Jesus, and they had to have been ministering with Jesus. There, there weren't just 12 that followed Jesus. There were many that followed Jesus. Many. There weren't just these 12 guys. There were the women that were always working. To, they had the harder job. They had to take care of these guys. They were the ones preparing meals and, and going and, and, and taking care of the laundry and stuff like that. You know, women's work? No. It, it's just what they would do. They just knew this needed to be done. And they got involved in doing it. The other this, uh, apostles that we don't really hear a lot about and stuff like that, I think they were helpers, uh, you know, uh, doing a lot of the preparations and stuff like that. They had a lot of the administrative type work. But we, we always look at Peter, James, and John, and, and Andrew, and we look at these guys who had these roles, but that wasn't all 12. That was just a few of them that seemed to have prominent roles, but that was their role. That was what Jesus was doing. He was showing them that there were different... When, when someone gets into an accident and you arrive on the scene at the accident to help out, you want to get out there and you want to help. You want to, you know, but there are many... It's the only people that are like medically qualified should go and help the person Medically, oh, they're bleeding, let's stop that, let's take care of that. You know, that's how you should get out there and, and do that if you have that qualification. If not, go out there and direct traffic. You know, get people away and keep people away. There are many different roles of what you can do when that time comes. The apostles had many different roles, and here he's 
saying, okay, we want to pick out a guy that's going to qualify. Now, beginning from the baptism of John to the day then when he was taken up, one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, whose name was Justice, and Matthias. So, um, you know, we, we see that, oh, well, let's just read on. And they prayed and said, oh, you, O oh Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry. And the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So uh, there was Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice. I think that's what disqualified him. You know, what are we going to call him? Joseph or Basavis or Justin? What do we, you know, so, you know, Matthias, hey, we can, we'll, we'll just roll the dice and say that it was Matthias, okay? And, and so, at this point, they cast lots. Now, this was something that goes back, it was the tradition in, in uh, the Jewish culture, to roll lots, to pass, you know, um, to figure out what God wanted to do they would cast lots to figure things out. After this, after the Holy Spirit came in and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, you never hear of them casting lots again. Not only that, as the apostles started being martyred, you never hear about a position being filled again by someone else. Oh, you know, James was, you know, killed, you know, by Herod. Let's replace him with some. You never hear. You know why? Because they learned that we're all equal. We have a level playing field. And we're all disciples the word of God went out from Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. And today, we are the disciples of Christ. A disciple just means that we're a student. And we are students of the word of God. We're disciples of Jesus. And we can be used by him just like anyone. Don't think that I have some special power that is greater in me because I'm a pastor than is in you. That's not true. The Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit in each one of us. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, then it's him getting the credit and the glory for what's being done. It's not the pastor. It's not the person. When it says, grab the elders, come together and pray for those that are sick, right? Anoint them and pray for them, those that are sick. You see, I don't like praying for someone by myself because if I pray for someone and lay hands on them and they get better, someone's going to say, oh, he has the gift of healing. No, I don't have the gift of healing the person that was healed has the gift of healing. I just prayed that God would do the work and they received the gift of healing. 
but I would rather have a group of elders come and lay hands, and then we don't know who, whose prayer was the best one, right? <laughs> you know, when we consider the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to get into that next week as we go into the Holy Spirit coming on the scene in the lives of disciples, when we consider the work of the Holy Spirit, we should consider that he hasn't changed. He's one of the three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three are God. And God doesn't change. And so we should consider because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to continue to use his flock, his people, for his purposes. And that's not going to change. Amen?